If you love a good serum, I have a new 30% off coupon code for you. One of the top ways we're exposed to endocrine disruptors, plasticizers like BPA and heavy metals is through cosmetic products. Conventional skincare is often loaded with endocrine disruptors and carcinogens, but products also can be high in heavy metals because they become contaminated through extraction and production. I made the switch to clean beauty five years ago after I read some alarming research that showed how harmful ingredients in skincare products can actually pass through the placenta to the baby and make it into breast milk. I tried so many different clean beauty products and by far the best effective skincare and makeup is from Beauty Counter. Their products are free of known harmful ingredients and they contain active ingredients, which means they work just as good if not better than the conventional products. They test for all contaminants like BPA and heavy metals, which is why I ultimately chose to make the switch. I absolutely love the vitamin C serum, and I personally use the Countertime Tripeptide Serum every night, which has totally changed the fine lines around my eyes. Shop Beauty Counter at beautycounter.com slash Tar. Then use the code CLEANFORALL30 to get 30% off your order. You can also join my clean beauty list where I share promotions and sales and offer samples. That's at coconutsandkettlebells.com forward slash beauty. Again, to shop, go to beautycounter.com slash Tar and use the coupon code CLEANFORALL30 to get 30% off your first order. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 391. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. If you listened to last week's episode, your mind was probably blown. This is a part two of our gut-skin connection series, and today is all about gut health for your kids. And why, why do kids deal with so many rashes like eczema and psoriasis and all the things, especially like our babies? Why are our babies suffering? So today's episode is going to be with Jennifer Brand. We're going to really dive deep. We went long on this episode because I had so many parent questions and I really wanted to get to everything. So lots of good tips in here. We answer a lot of questions. Buckle up. Let's get started. Now let me introduce Jennifer. Jennifer Brand is an integrative and clinical nutritionist. She has a master's degree in both public health and human nutrition. In her clinical nutrition practice, Jennifer specializes in childhood skin rashes, food allergies and sensitivities and gut problems. Jennifer left her corporate healthcare career in 2017 to focus full time on helping clients get relief by addressing imbalances in the gut microbiome. And has since been featured in so many online summits and podcasts and in-person events. And her work has even been featured in peer-reviewed scientific journals. I was just reviewing a lot of Jennifer's stuff. And I am so impressed with everything she's going on, her nutritional practice. And she really, what I love um, is that she really focuses on getting to the root cause and figuring out the root cause as opposed to trying to in this, in relation to, or when we're talking about skin issues, covering up or fixing skin issues with creams and medications. So going root cause versus um, medicating it away is, is what you said on your website. So welcome, Jennifer. I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. Good. I, I mean, we have 
so much to discuss. I was telling you before we jumped on that as I was sort of getting invested in this, preparing for this episode and kind of going through Instagram and Facebook and the questions and what people really wanted to talk about, I just was like, oh, I wish this was a two hour episode because there's so much stuff that we could talk about. So I want to jump right in. First, I, I mean, skin rashes and gut issues, it can be a really complex topic to navigate, especially when it comes to working with, you know, kids and adults and understanding the differences. Why did you choose this focus for your holistic health practice? Great question. Um, and, and like you mentioned in the beginning, you know, I find that so many of us in functional medicine and holistic health have really experienced our own health challenges, which we've had to take matters into our own hands to find solutions for. So, you know, as a child, I was frequently ill. I had strep throat and ear infections, which came, of course, you know, along with lots of antibiotics. As a teenager, there were significant physical and emotional traumas. In my 20s, I had some more trauma. I ended up developing um, pretty severe uh, IBS. And, you know, over the years, my health continued to deteriorate. And like so many others, I started using diet restrictions to manage my symptoms. Over time, diet restriction became a coping mechanism for me because I felt like everything was out of control. And I ended up nearly hospitalized for an eating disorder. And, you know, through all of this, my symptoms that I was trying to manage with my diet continued to get worse. This is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate. And if you've seen my website and uh, my message, but this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about spreading the word that food is not the root cause of the problem and continuing to blame food causes more harm than good. Our bodies run off of nutrients from foods we eat. If they're missing, imbalances develop and symptoms and health problems follow. So in order to resolve my health problems, I had to address my gut health. I had to expand my diet and nourish my body. And of course, the hardest part has been to deal with the emotional aspects of my past. Another significant motivator for me to do what I do and um, to, to get involved with skin health is my family. My father was diagnosed with psoriasis as a child. By the time he was 30, he developed psoriatic arthritis. He's in his 70s now and has taken a conventional medicine approach. And I've just watched his health continue to deteriorate because the root cause of the problem has not been addressed. My brother also has psoriasis and my mother has vitiligo. Um, you know, and really because I know how hard it is and what it's like to struggle and feel like there's no support, I really want to be that support for others. And I want to help people find the root cause of their symptoms and health problems so that they can be addressed to get relief. And no one should have to go through struggles like this and certainly not babies and children. They should not be spending you're suffering. And, you know, so many parents, it, it's such a struggle and people give up and they accept what they're told that it's just something that you learn to live with. And to me, that's not an acceptable answer. You know, the symptoms we have, including skin rashes, food allergies and sensitivities and gut problems, these are the body's cries for help that something is wrong and we can figure out what that is. We can address it and we can bring balance back to the body to help it heal. You know, when I was looking on your website, I just thought, oh, gosh, if everybody knew about you, you know, if everybody knew about this 
this approach to going after root causes and bringing back balance to the body. And yeah, there's something triggering it. And no, it's not a lack of steroid cream. Although I don't judge anybody for going that route or resorting to that or using that when things get really bad. But it, you know, I saw some of the pictures of these kids, you know, who had these horrible rashes and were left basically with topical creams. And well, we don't know what else to do besides here's a cream to fix this. And then, you know, you have these kids and parents just suffering with these chronic skin rashes and chronic issues and they don't have anywhere else to turn. And so if everybody had this understanding or this revelation that, wow, there's other root causes that are happening, there's there's things that are at play here. There's things that are going on that you can resolve and actually bring healing long term. Because I think, you know, what's interesting is a lot of kids who suffer from eczema or rashes early on as kids end up struggling with that and further issues as you as you explained with your father through their entire life. So treating it and working, you know, on root causes now can literally change the course of somebody's life, which is so powerful. Um, Okay, so I quickly want to review this before we dive in. What is the gut-skin connection? And when it comes to how the gut triggers skin issues, what things are important to consider when working with children versus adults? When it comes to the gut and skin connection, so first let's talk a little bit about the gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome refers to all of the genetic material of all the microbes that are in the gut, and this is the large intestine essentially, or the colon. So we have bacteria, fungi, protozoa, viruses, these things normally live, you know, inside and, you know, on the digestive tract. There is lots of scientific evidence that the intestinal microbiome contributes to the function as well as dysfunction of other organ systems in the body, including the skin. So your gut microbiome, again, all of those bugs that live in there, they influence your skin health by modulating how the immune system works. So this is important. 80% of the immune system is located in the gut microbiome. So this means that if there are gut imbalances or imbalances in those gut bugs, it can cause widespread immune dysfunction and significantly impact how the body reacts to potentially triggering substances, whether that's food or environmental triggers or what have you. And so this is important with eczema because it's an allergic condition and it often comes along with food allergies, environmental allergies, even asthma, you know, known as the atopic triad. And so certain gut bugs and stuff, if you will, that they produce increase anti-inflammatory activity of the immune system. So this is good. And then other bugs produce stuff that causes inflammation, which is not so good. So, you know, for example, short chain fatty acids are an example of that anti-inflammatory stuff, and they're produced by gut bugs when they ferment dietary fiber. So this is why it's important to eat prebiotic foods. And so prebiotic foods are things like quinoa or sweet potatoes and other starchy, non-starchy vegetables. And we need these so that those gut bugs can make this good stuff that our bodies need for a healthy immune system. There's also a more direct link between the gut microbiome and the skin. So in cases of leaky gut or um, gut hyper 
over permeability. And this is a problem when we have skin rashes, gut bacteria and the stuff that they produce can get out of the gut into the bloodstream and actually accumulate in the skin, disrupting the skin's healthy balance. So while a healthy, diverse gut microbiome, so we want like lots of diversity in there. This can provide health benefits to us and a dysbiotic gut microbiome, which means imbalances in there, um, can actually lead to disease, including issues with the skin and skin rashes like eczema, as well as allergies. And so any and all of this, I like to point this out as well, can be happening even if there are no gut symptoms at all. So the majority of my clients with skin complaints don't really report digestive symptoms, but then when we check the gut, which we do with a comprehensive digestive stool test, I always see gut dysfunction. So one thing I do with my clients, you know, any anybody with skin rashes, we take a look at what's happening in the gut with a comprehensive digestive stool test. 100% of my clients that I've done this with have imbalances in the gut. And when we start resolving those imbalances and addressing them, we see benefits throughout the body, including with the skin. So, you know, rather than addressing the skin, as you mentioned, you know, just with topicals and, um, you know, creams and such, or trying to manage symptoms with diet, it's really super wise to consider the role of the gut microbiome in what's happening with the skin. And then when it comes to things to consider, you know, children versus adults, when we're looking at the gut microbiome, for example, so the infant gut microbiome or the gut microbiome in general isn't mature until about age two. So that said, with cases that are not resolving in babies, you know, younger than that, we can check out what's happening in the little one's gut. Um, and what we expect to see is different than what we would see in adults or somebody that is two and up. So we do expect to see, for example, higher relative abundance of certain bugs. Um, but at the same time, you know, what I'm really looking for are things that aren't supposed to be in there at all, like high levels of H. pylori or C. diff or parasites. Um, we can also tell on tests like this, the comprehensive digestive stool test, how digestion is working. If there's blood in the stool, if there's inflammation in the gut. The immune function of the gut is something we can look at on these tests. And there are other imbalances too that are not expected to, that we would see you know, in a little one. So those are the types of things that we would look for. Um, also, it's important to keep in mind that how we go about addressing the problem is different in babies as well as older children, adolescents, adults. We really have to take into account the age and stage of development because needs of the body differ depending on these factors. And something really important, never supplement your child with, you know, anything without professional guidance. And, you know, this is an, an area where it really is important to work with a qualified practitioner that understands these differences, you know, how to interpret the testing and what to do about it. So uh, the thing that I think confuses a lot of us parents is how in the world do, does our little infant baby get such a disrupted gut when they haven't really been exposed to a lot yet or are just only exposed to breastfeeding? Like what, what, where is, where is this, what's the trigger? And, you know, given what we know, especially about just how much gut disruption there is and how much children seem to struggle, should we be doing things up front to facilitate a healthy gut microbiome, like, you know, always giving from day one, giving kids probiotics and supplements and stuff like that, just 
to help facilitate a healthy microbiome? Or is that only something that we do after the fact when some we have symptoms of something going on? Good questions. So in little ones, and, you know, and of course, a lot of this is out of our control um, as parents. Others, you know, so when we are born, if we go through the vaginal, you know, the birth canal, we are inoculated with the microbiome. So C-section babies, you know, it, it's it's different. They don't get the microbiome the same way that we would if we were born vaginally. So that can play a role. Um, you know, in the hospital, sometimes there's antibiotic exposure that can play a role. You know, and these are things we really don't have any control over. Um, you know, so that said, there are some genetic components to it, and a lot of folks, a lot of these babies, there's a family history of skin rashes, of eczema, of allergies. So that can play a role as well. Um, something that I do find very interesting is, you know, in little ones that are breastfed. So one question I get often is, you know, can mom pass skin rash triggers through breast milk to the little one? And, you know, yes. So, and this is where things get tricky. Like if we have a little one that is exclusively breastfed and flaring with skin rashes, you know, mom, one of the things I recommend to start, it's like, let's take known triggering foods out of the diet, which are, you know, gluten, um, dairy and eggs can be very triggering. Beyond that, if it's, you know, otherwise healthy foods and you can't really tell what's happening or what's triggering things, food generally isn't the problem. There's something deeper going on. And so it really is possible that, you know, mom is passing, you know, bugs or toxins from them through the breast milk. That said, breastfeeding is healthy. It seeds the infant gut microbiome. It is protective against different types of infections. Um, you know, not all, but a lot. And I'm not by any means recommending that we stop breastfeeding, but rather this is where we need to look deeper at what's happening. And, you know, in this, in a case like this, like if a baby is six months or younger, I tend to look at what's happening with mom more than baby because babies breastfed, right? So, you know, we do take a look at diet, you know, what's mom eating? Are there um, common triggers that mom is getting in that are being transferred to baby? You know, and then often when I start questioning mom, you know, I find that, okay, mom has had eczema, mom has had autoimmune disease, you know, mom has had gut issues. You know, in fact, I see a lot of moms that have seen functional practitioners and have these comprehensive digestive stool tests in their hands to look at. So, so if, if a baby is under six months of age, you know, I tend to look more closely at mom. If a baby is over six months of age, you know, I tend to look more closely at baby because by then, you know, we're starting to wean from the breast. We're starting to eat solids. You know, things are changing, um, you know, but when it comes down to where uh, the issue comes from in the first place, I don't have, after all, I don't have an answer for you, but those are just some examples of some of the things that I've seen. And so it really is kind of a combination of these imbalances that are happening, you know, within mom and baby and even within the environment as well. Yeah. So should we be doing things up front then as parents? Because I get that question a lot. You know, should I be giving my baby a probiotic that's four weeks old or eight, six months old? Like, should we when is that important to start? And or should we? chill and not do that and only do that if symptoms arise? So, you know, it's really case by case. I mean, with little ones, I really recommend not doing much of anything unless you're working with a practitioner um, in terms of supplementation. The thing with probiotics, I mean, we're led to believe they're benign. I would say for the most part, you know, people that don't have any health concerns can probably take, you know, a probiotic off the shelf, which, you know, not necessarily the highest quality supplement 
but it would probably be fine. When we have skin rashes, um, the issue that I see is that a lot of probiotics, so, so this leads us into a histamine issue. So when we have conditions, when we have eczema, you know, a lot of folks, you know, we tend to have excess histamine going on. And so, which is part of that allergic response of the immune system. And so, you know, histamine comes from multiple places in the body. The body makes it, it's a neurotransmitter. We need it to make stomach acid. We need histamine and it's in a lot of otherwise healthy foods. If we're reacting to it, it tends to be in my clinical experience because of an overgrowth of gut bugs. So bugs in the gut, these bacteria make histamine. That said, there are a lot of probiotics out there, which are bacteria that we're introducing into the gut to try to seed the gut with healthy stuff, are histamine containing, histamine producing. So we're adding fuel to the fire. Um, you know, so when it comes to probiotics, something like a spore-based probiotic can be helpful. That doesn't seed the gut with extra bacteria. Um, an Esculardi, which is a, a non-pathogenic yeast type bacteria can be okay for some. However, I, you know, there's caution with that because if somebody leans towards constipation, you may not want to do the Esculardi. There are lots of caveats, which the bottom line is in your little one, especially just work with somebody that knows the differences um, between what's happening with the child, between what's happening with adults. And, you know, even then it is really important to do a deeper dive, do this, take a look at what's happening in the gut microbiome if possible before even doing a probiotic, um, certainly a prebiotic. So there are prebiotic supplements out there. So prebiotics feed good gut bugs. But if we have an overgrowth of bugs, we don't necessarily want to feed them more because symptoms get worse. So, you know, what can we do, um, you know, in a case like this, if you're not working with a practitioner, you know, focus on diet first and take out those common triggers. So the gluten, the dairy, the eggs, you know, again, beyond that, if you're reacting to otherwise healthy foods, food isn't the problem, there's something else going on in the gut. And, you know, for probiotics, we can do, you know, raw fermented sauerkraut, and even little ones, you can give them like a teaspoon or so of the liquid, you know, that the sauerkraut is in. And, you know, for prebiotics, focus on prebiotic foods, like, you know, at, at the age of six months, we should be introducing these healthy foods to little ones anyway, you know, so prebiotic foods, things like sweet potato or quinoa or brown rice, um, you know, gluten-free oats, you know, things like that can really help um, get get the little one's gut going in a healthy way. I love adaptogens. I love them. I take them every day. I used to be that way with coffee. Let's be honest. I would need it every morning, but now I love the feeling that I get from adaptogens and it's a much more healthful <laughs> daily habit. That's what we all want, more, right? More, more healthful daily habits that actually supports my body's physiology. Adaptogens are herbs and functional mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. They essentially boost your resistance and tolerance when it comes to emotional and physical stress. They are good for stress support, adrenal dysfunction, hormone imbalances, anxiety, fatigue, you name it, adaptogens can help. The more I research adaptogens, the more I realize the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. 
Now I drink Organifi Red Juice three to four times a week, mostly mid-morning, and it's incredible for energy support and focus. It's a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. They also have a green juice, which has ashwagandha in it. It's great for stress and recovery, especially if you're working out on a regular basis. And my favorite, is Organifi Gold. It's my favorite nightcap. It's a sweet little warm drink. You can take at night. It's got reishi. If you've got anxiety or your mind is spinning at night, drink that as your nightcap. It is so good and it's calming. All of Organifi's superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic and contain high quality ingredients. And they're also free of fillers and they taste really good and have clinical doses of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. Go to Organifi.com forward slash well-fed and use the code well-fed for 20% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash well-fed and use the code well-fed for 20% off your entire order. I will say, uh, like, I mean, my little one has had a couple eczema flares and I always had heard about people talk about histamine and it sort of went in one ear and out the other because it was just too much for me to try to dive in and understand. So I was just like, eh, not not giving that a second thought. Then I started because I've never had any skin rashes at all in my family, not with my first kid. Then, you know, rashes start popping up on my second kid. And, you know, histamine was such a big player in that both histamine containing foods and foods that help to liberate or can lead to the liberation of histamine. And that's made such a huge difference. And now I've started to really see this connection between histamine and skin rashes. And so don't write that off. I know it seems like a lot as a parent when you're already doing a lot of eliminate, like it just gets so overwhelming. You know, you're eliminating foods, you're trying to switch to the, you know, cotton, you're switching out your cleaners and, you know, trying to do everything. And then you're like, what? Now I have to take out avocado and banana? No, like it just seems like a lot. But that has made anytime my son gets a, a rash, the moment I pull out high histamine foods, it's just like he almost had a, a little bit of an overflow. And the moment I pull them out, it like immediately sequesters. So, I mean, on top of other things, but that's always sort of the thing that makes the cup overfill, so to speak. So I want to definitely talk more about that. Let's first, okay, so the two major issues that impact most parents in the first year are eczema and food allergies. Now, food allergies are something I really want to dive into as well, but let's just address the whole eczema and skin rashes issue first. Knowing what we know about the gut-skin connection, where does one start when trying to address skin rashes like eczema in babies and in children? So is it do we is there a step by step process that you recommend? In other words, do you say eliminate these foods first? OK, now move to lower histamine foods or, you know, what is the process and where do people even start? Yeah, really good question. I, you know, again, I would start with the diet and remove those common trigger foods. So like processed foods, added sugars, um, you know, gluten, dairy and eggs. When we're talking about gluten, I want to mention this too. So if 
if somebody has been eating gluten, eating gluten, it can be really helpful to wean from it instead of taking it out cold turkey, especially in kids. They can have withdrawal symptoms, which, you know, problem sleeping, um, irritability, you know, things like that. So to wean from it, you know, what you would want to do is week one, take it out of breakfast. Week two, take it out of breakfast and lunch. Week three, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Week four, breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks. So it makes it easier to get it out of the diet. Um, but, you know, we can also look at and at the environment and consider things like endocrine disrupting chemicals, which can adversely affect hormones and increase toxic burden on the body. And, you know, all of these things can impact the skin, um, you know, again, like if baby is under six months of age and mostly breastfed. I think it's really important to take a closer look at what's happening with mom. Again, we start with the diet and the environment. Um, and then if baby is over six months, also start with diet. You know, we can look at the gut with this comprehensive stool testing. But as long as baby is nursing, I think exploring mom's diet can be helpful. Um, and something, too, that can be helpful. And there are research studies on this, which I find, I always find research studies interesting, but you know, moms. So even before pregnancy, during pregnancy, while nursing, being on a diet of whole real foods, keeping out those main trigger foods can be really helpful. And, you know, making sure we don't want to be on elimination diets long-term. You know, again, I often find that, you know, mom has had her own health issues. She's been on long-term elimination diets. Our bodies run off those nutrient off of those nutrients from foods we eat. So if mom isn't getting enough of certain vitamins like you know B vitamins or vitamins A, C, and D, baby might not be getting those nutrients either. And all of these nutrients, as well as many others, are really important for the body to do everything it's supposed to do, including building and repairing healthy skin proper function of the immune system. So if anybody's on a long-term elimination diet, nutrient insufficiency or deficiency can be a problem and contribute to the issue. Yeah, I've read a lot. I mean, there's, I think one of the interesting nutrients that's had a lot of research lately is vitamin D and just how important it is in its role of both immune function and even things like rashes. And it's unfortunately such a common deficiency, much like magnesium, where we can very easily not get enough of it. And if our diet is not as nutrient dense, it's one of those those nutrients that can be so low. I don't what's your in your experience. And when you pull lab tests, is that so? Well, let me let me figure out. Let me jump to the lab tests for kids. What lab tests do you pull for kids, if any? And do you mentioned doing stool tests for adults? Do you do those same stool tests for kids? And and what have you seen in kids with skin rashes in terms of trends of nutrient deficiencies? Yeah, so so it is tricky for testing for children. If they're under two, there really isn't a lot that is super helpful from my perspective. We can do the comprehensive digestive stool test. That is what I find most actionable. Um, you know, allergy testing, a lot of uh, parents will come to me with allergy testing, which can be helpful, but, you know, and I know we'll talk about that too. Um, but so allergy testing, often there isn't a lot of blood work. And, you know, when you think about it, it's very traumatic to stick a little one with a needle to get blood work. So we, we, we're not and we also don't expect to see a lot of nutrient deficiencies in babies because they haven't been around long enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Unless right. mom has been on a restricted diet. And when we're talking about restricted diets, I mean, this can be anything. 
anytime we cut out foods, food groups, or categories of foods, of course, you know, except for those main triggers that I've mentioned, like we can get into problems here because, you know, baby is getting nutrients from mom. Mom needs to be nourished. Um, talking about vitamin D for a minute, you know, that is a super important nutrient. There are vitamin D receptors on like most of the cells in our body. And like scientists, we don't even know what they're for yet. For the most part, they're just there. So it gives you a sense of how important vitamin D is. It's really not found in many foods at all. We get most of it through our skin when our skin is exposed to sunlight. Um, vitamin D supplementation can be helpful. I do not recommend that without testing. Um, I don't recommend nutrient supplementation in children or adults without testing. Certainly not individual nutrients because all the nutrients work together in the body. And if you supplement with one and not others, it can push others out of balance. You also have things like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, even vitamin K. These are fat soluble. So they hang out for you know a long time in the body and in levels that are too high, they can be very dangerous in anybody, certainly in children, um, you know, variety of symptoms, health problems, things like that. So we don't want to supplement. Nothing is benign, you know, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, you just don't know unless we've tested. So that said, what I find, you know, most helpful in terms of nutrient supplementation, like talk to your pediatrician, you know, absolutely about supplementing with vitamin D or any other nutrients. Talk to somebody knowledgeable that can help you pull the pieces together. But I just, you know, I find it safest to, if you do want to supplement with nutrients of some sort, just a, a well-rounded multivitamin and mineral. Um, I, I think that tends to be the best way to go. Hmm. Okay. So do you, so you obviously talked about elimination diets, eliminating what I think is the big, you said the big three, gluten, dairy, and um, eggs. That's where people should start for elimination diets because um, and and should people explore other things? So this is in relation to treating and working with kids that have eczema. If somebody is experiencing issues, are, are you saying that those are the only three foods that they should really eliminate up front? And if it's not that move on to other things? Yes. So those are the main things that can potentially be problematic. And I will say by the time somebody comes to see me, they've tried that as well as a lot of other things and it doesn't solve the problem. Um, you know, when it comes to elimination diets and let's talk about, and this is, I think this is really important. So a true elimination diet is something that we undertake for 21 to 30 days so that we can identify these triggering foods because um, it is possible that other foods are triggering symptoms. But after that amount of time, the idea is to reintroduce foods one at a time in a controlled manner to see if their symptoms triggers. But what is often missed in this process is especially if it's food sensitivities, which are these IgG immune responses, food is not the root cause of the problem. With What's happening is if there are food sensitivities, there is increased gut permeability, which is leaky gut. So when there are gut problems and we have imbalances of the microbes in the gut, inflammation can develop in there. This leads to hyperpermeability of the gut lining, leaky gut, which allows toxins to escape from the gastrointestinal tract and enter the bloodstream. So this includes toxins from gut bugs and food particles. 
This causes an environment of inflammation throughout the body. And once these things are floating around in the bloodstream, they trigger the immune system and all sorts of health problems, including allergies, um, as well as skin rashes. So it's these underlying gut problems that lead to food sensitivities, which then trigger skin rashes and rash flares allergies, food sensitivities. And because it's not just food particles, it's these endotoxins, we might be erroneously blaming food. Um, so if we have food sensitivities, it is really important to realize that the food is not the root cause of the problem. And what I see is that people tend to take some foods out of the diet. Like let's say you get food sensitivity testing done and you have all these like high level sensitivities. You take those out of the diet, which is going to reduce inflammation. So you're going to feel better for a while, but symptoms will flare again. And then you're going to take more foods out of the diet thinking, oh, well, it must be this now. You'll feel better for a little bit. Symptoms are going to flare again. So it's this vicious cycle when the diet gets smaller and smaller, when the real issue is that we have problems in the gut that need to be resolved. So this is a really important question, especially for parents who are trying to avoid or do the appropriate thing to make sure that their kids don't have food allergies. If you this was actually specifically from Laura. Thank you, Laura, for submitting this question. Should I avoid allergenic foods for my son's eczema or should I continue to introduce the allergens for exposure's sake? So say we know that, you know, what the science says about. Well, you can cover that. And I'd love to get your take on that in terms of introducing earlier on to reduce your chances of having an allergy. But a lot of a lot of that and what a lot of experts recommend is continued exposure. So say we introduce something and it just creates you know, horrible rashes on our our baby. Do we continue on with trying to build in that or, you know, trying to expose our children to these foods, especially if eczema is triggered by gluten or something, you know, and it's like, do I do I keep going on trying to introduce eggs and dairy and that sort of thing? Do we continue to introduce even in the presence of not an allergic reaction, but more of like an eczema skin rash reaction? That's a really good question. And I will answer this with a um, client's experience that I've had. So and you're right, you know, recommendations have been not to introduce these commonly allergenic foods until, you know, kids are older, but these are changing because there is evidence that that might be actually contributing to the development of allergies in the first place. So I have this client, she was about one and a half years old when we started working together. She was covered in eczema from just a few months of age. And it started the day after she was giving it, given an antibiotic for a staph infection. So some gut testing, we found very high levels of C. diff toxin in her gut, which is actually commonly associated with antibiotic use. So it was like, all right, there's your trigger. Um, but we also found that there were a lot of other findings in her gut, immune dysfunction, inflammation. So as we were working together, you know, things were improving. We were working on the gut. It was just, it was slow. It was going slow, which is typical. You know, typically I would say on average, it takes like six months to get improvement. Um, but even so, I felt that this case was moving more slowly. And because of this, I was just curious. I was wondering if there was something that she was allergic to that was also triggering things that maybe we should, you know, take out for right now while we're working on the gut, um, you know, working on her skin. So 
mom went to an allergist. They did IgE, which is the type of reaction that can be life-threatening and found a dairy allergy. Um, and it was interesting because dairy was something that the mom had avoided giving the little one because of the eczema and knowing that it was a common trigger. So the allergist actually blamed mom for causing the dairy allergy because it had been restricted for so long. So mom, of course, was very distraught thinking all of this was her fault. So the allergist was recommending to desensitize the little one to dairy, which entailed, right, consuming it in baked muffins and like gradually progressing to consuming milk. So from the perspective that an IgE allergy can be life-threatening, I understand the doctor's recommendation, but the problem here is that dairy is inflammatory and can be a skin rash trigger, right? Whether And that's the case, actually, whether there's an allergy to it or not, by the way. So just because something doesn't pop up on testing, if you know your little one or you seem to react to something... that's valid, even if it's not on the test. So, and there are many reasons why that can happen. But so anyway, so there are some points here, you know, number one, it's not mom's fault or anybody's fault. The little one developed an allergy. So that's number one. Number two, again, any of these things can be triggering for reasons other than identified allergies to it. Um, But the bottom line, you know, is to consider is that Eczema, while uncomfortable and horrible, is not life-threatening. An IgE reaction can be life-threatening. So I think that that has to be a very you know personal decision by parents. And I'm not making recommendations one way or another here. I want to point that out. But just to give you the information to understand that you know eczema, again, not life-threatening. IgE allergy can be life-threatening. Does somebody actually need to consume dairy? Honestly, I don't think so. You know, you can get calcium in the diet from many other foods, uh, seeds, canned salmon, sardines, beans, lentils, different greens, you know, dried figs. There are lots of other foods that have calcium. So, you know, I think when it comes to something like this, you know, talking to a professional, somebody that can give you appropriate guidance for your specific case is really important. Yeah. So what is the connection between food, food aller- for kids particularly? What is that connection between food allergies and gut health? And, and are there things that we can do to address food allergies or sensitivities and intolerances? Like if you have a kid that comes in that has a sensitivity to dairy or an allergy to dairy, have you seen like, oh, we can work on gut health and that allergy or that intolerance is resolved? Yeah. So, so this question, it takes us back to, you know, 80% of the immune system is located in the gut microbiome. So imbalances there widely affect how the immune system works, um, leading to that immune system dysfunction, including allergies. So there is also a large scientific body of evidence that points to, you know, food allergies, even environmental allergies, um, having roots in impaired gut health or gut microbiome imbalances. Um, You know, so yes, there's a lot that we can do there to resolve what's happening internally to help get some relief. I have seen allergies um, become less severe by doing this. Sensitivities, food sensitivities, which again are those IgG type reactions, take us back to gut hyperpermeability, leaky gut, again, back to resolving what's happening in the gut. Um, You know, when we talk, when we're talking about intolerances, those are different. So allergies and sensitivities are an immune response. Intolerances are not an immune response. 
They are rather an issue with how the body processes certain foods like lactose intolerance is, you know, probably the most common example where the body can't break down the sugar in milk and you end up with gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, you know, in here you can avoid the problematic food or take an enzyme to help break that food down. But, you know, resolving gut imbalances is not going to resolve food intolerances. But I think it is important to understand the difference between the allergies, the sensitivities and the intolerances, because we tend to use those terms interchangeably. And it actually does make a difference on how we address things, um, you know, based on which one somebody's experiencing. If you feel like you've washed your hands more in the last three months than you have in the last three years, you're not alone. And because of this, there is no better time to make the switch to safer cleaning products that are free of unnecessary harmful ingredients such as carcinogens, endocrine disruptors, fragrance, and triclosan, which can suppress your immune system. This is why I personally use Puracy and have stocked up on all refills for hand soap an all-purpose surface cleaner just like yesterday. I found Piracy because I was on the hunt for a company that made a variety of products, including an alcohol-based hand sanitizer that didn't have fragrance or dyes. And this proved to be way harder than I expected, but I'm happy to say that Piracy checks all the boxes with all of their products. They've worked with doctors, chemists, and cleaning professionals to create items that use only safe, plant-based, renewable ingredients and work better than their harsh chemical counterparts. To get 10% off your first order, go to puracy.com slash wellfed. That's P-U-R-A-C-Y.com slash wellfed. All the products are made in the USA. They are safe for people, the environment, and they're certified cruelty-free. You can also use the code wellfed at checkout for 10% off your order. They are working overtime right now to get safe soap and hand sanitizer out. If the hand sanitizers aren't readily available, just sign up for the alerts. And when you get the restock alert, use the code WELLFED, W-E-L-L-F-E-D, for 10% off. And you can also add whatever else you need, like laundry detergents and surface cleaners. Again, that's puracy.com slash wellfed. All right, let's jump into questions from the community because we have a lot of great ones. This first one is about gut health from Kristen. What to look what do I look for and how do I know if a child's gut health is optimal? Should we ask for tests at the pediatrician or can we assume that everything's okay? Similar question with food sensitivities. How do we know if they have them? Are there certain foods that should be eliminated no matter what? In other words, should I advocate for our kids to eat gluten-free all the time? It's a hard sell on my stay-at-home husband without seeing obvious issues since he does all the shopping and cooking and making lunches. We've switched everything that I eat and therefore all of our family meals, but let's be honest, it's more work for him when it comes to their food all day long. So I need a convincing reason. You know, it's so funny with gluten. It's People are, are very attached to it. So we'll get into that in a minute. Um, <laughs> so the first part of the question, you know, if your child is struggling, you know, with eczema, with food allergies, food sensitivities, gut problems, gut health is not optimal. So, you know, if, if your child has symptoms or health problems like that, you know, you need to take a closer look at what's happening in the gut. Conventional medicine doesn't look at the gut microbiome like we do in functional medicine. And a conventional stool test, which is something that can be done, it looks for overt infections, but it does not identify the, micro, the microbiome imbalances 
um, the type that I'm referring to that we need to address to get relief from eczema and other allergic conditions. And, you know, when it comes to food sensitivities and how to know, they can really be ambiguous. I mean, you can react to a food um, within... Usually if it's, if it's a food sensitivity, it's a delayed reaction. So we're talking about a few hours to up to like two to three days, there can be a reaction. So they're really hard to identify. Um, and the thing with food sensitivities is that they're going to continue to develop until gut microbiome imbalances are addressed. Um, you know, and when it comes to what to take out food, certain foods that should be eliminated no matter what. Yeah, gluten. And again, wean from it to avoid those withdrawal symptoms. Um, you know, dairy is often problematic, as we talked about, as are eggs, processed food, added sugars, and otherwise, if it's healthy foods, we want to take a deeper look at what's happening in the gut microbiome. You know, with gluten, and maybe this will help for, for all of you that are having other family members struggling to take it out of the diet. If someone is reactive to gluten, and if they eat it and then don't have it again for up to six months, the body can continue to react for up to six months, even if it's not touched again. So the stool test that I like to use, the comprehensive digestive one, it does identify if the body is reacting to gluten. It looks for anti-glide antibodies. So we can tell that, okay, the body's reacting to gluten. Sometimes it helps to see this to motivate people to keep it out of the diet. Um, you know, so that is something I would recommend. You know, certainly if your husband is, um, uh, skeptical about gluten, you know, get the stool test done, show them the antibodies will be high. I guarantee you they will be, but there really is no nutritional value to gluten. It's a protein that happens to be in wheat. There are plenty of other grain products out there that you can eat that are gluten free. You know, we've got, and there's so many products nowadays that are made gluten free that you can substitute so there, there really just isn't a need for gluten yeah <laughs> um and this is an interesting question what are your thoughts on gut issues this is from tr underscore lewis what are your thoughts on gut issues related to behavioral problems such as irritability or hyperactivity what foods would you recommend eliminating or adding to help heal the gut for ages five and under thanks so, okay, gluten and dairy, take those out, start there. Um, you know, we can definitely check, see what's happening in the gut microbiome. Typically with little ones with behavior problems like the irritability, hyperactivity, even problems sleeping, a lot of them I find, you know, have a lot of gluten in the diet. Sometimes taking gluten out solves the problem. If that doesn't, try dairy next. If that doesn't, you know, a deeper look I think can be really helpful. We want to make sure that the diet is... Um, you know, inclusive of whole real foods. And so, you know, what that means is shop the perimeter of the store, start in the produce section, load up your cart, different colors, different textures. You know, when we say eat the rainbow, the different colors of different fruits and vegetables are different phytochemicals. So they're natural chemicals that are in plant foods that have different health properties. So lots of antioxidant nutrients and, and, and such. So, you know, we want to make sure that the right foods are getting in. So the right kinds of colorful plant foods, we need to make sure that the right kinds of proteins are getting in. And, you know, animal products are complete proteins. Plant proteins are not complete. What that means is that there are nine essential amino acids that we need to get from foods we eat that our bodies cannot make. Um, animal foods contain those nine essentials. They also contain conditionally essential amino acids. Conditionally essential means that 
your body can usually make them, but under certain conditions. And when we have health struggles and, you know, when we're our bodies are doing other things like growing and developing like children are um, when we're struggling with skin rashes and the body's trying to heal that when the immune system is dysfunctional and we have allergies, we need even more nutrients. And these things are stressors on the body. So those conditionally essential amino acids that the body can normally make, they, the body can't under certain conditions. Animal proteins contain those too. So anyway, so we need to make sure that the diet is inclusive of whole real foods. Um, you know, after that, we should check what's happening in the gut. There are certain types of gut bug imbalances that can cause behavioral problems, irritability, even anxiety. For example, um, clostridia is a bug. It's a normal bug in the gut. When it's in high levels, levels that are too high, it actually can contribute to anxiety. So it's kind of a compilation, right? So we want to take out gluten, we can try taking out dairy, make sure the right foods are getting in. And then if there are still issues, check and see what's happening in the gut. And why, I mean, why is gluten such an issue? Like, why is it so triggering to our immune system? And the connection between why you say in gluten initially is because I'm assuming it is because it, our immune system can be very reactive to it. It can cause inflammation. And then with kids in particular, that can disrupt the gut. It can disrupt neuro chemistry and um, like neuro, proper neurotransmitter function and all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that accurate? I just I, I you say gluten so much and I realize just like, well, what is it about this little protein in wheat that is just like so makes our immune system so like haywire? Yeah, well, it does contribute to gut hyperpermeability and leaky gut. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Uh, in the United States, because I'm sure you hear all the time too, right? Oh, you know, I went to Italy and I ate all the pizza mm -hmm. and pasta and I was fine. So there is something to be said. I'm not going to get into conspiracy theory here, but um, the way things are processed in the United States can and seems to contribute to the problem. Um, so, you know, gluten, it's just inflammatory. And because that is the gluten itself or because it's contaminated, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. And I can't completely speculate on that. I have my thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, but but they're really, again, there just is no nutritional value to it. And right. I just it's just not something that needs to be in the diet. Yeah. yeah. Rashes. This is from Emily. And I think that this one's going to hopefully clear up a lot. She said, I'm so glad you're doing this. We are at a loss. I have count a countless allergy and uh, pediatric appointments, et cetera. Recently did blood allergy testing with both of my girls. Their ages are one and three. Having multiple positive IgG responses. What is the best action course after finding out what foods are irritating them? We eat clean, give high quality probiotic, little to no sugar, and cannot seem to figure out our girls' eczema. So what are your thoughts on those food allergy testing? And then once somebody figures out, okay, here are the foods, this is what's triggering, what do you do from there to set your kids up for success long term and maybe, you know, actually treat the root issue? Yeah, so these IgG responses, these point to food sensitivities rather than food allergies. So these go back to gut hyperpermeability, leaky gut, um, imbalances in the gut microbiome. What you can do, um, and I don't know what this person's test results are, but 
What I typically recommend if somebody comes to me with IgG testing, it's not something that I usually recommend myself because again, I focus on the gut and we resolve problems there. People can eat these foods again, typically. But so if somebody brings these, this type of test to me, if there are highly reactive foods, so like depending what test you have, you know, the high ones or the red noted ones or, you know, what have you, it can be helpful. Those are the most inflammatory. They tend to be things that we eat most often, um, you know, which again points to, okay, well, if we're eating them a lot, right, they're going through the leaky gut, they're getting into the bloodstream, the body's reacting to it. So we can take those foods out. It'll help reduce inflammation while you're working on addressing the root cause of the problem. If you have positive IgG results on IgG testing, it's absolutely take a look and see what's happening in the gut microbiome. That's where your answer is. Okay. How does somebody do that? So the comprehensive digestive stool test, you do have to work with a practitioner on that. This is not the, I won't say names, but if you can buy it yourself online, it's typically not the right kind of test. The one, I'll call out the names of the ones that I use. (laughs) So my go-to is GI map. It's by Diagnostic Solutions. Um, I find that one very actionable. Genova Diagnostics has one called GI Effects. Um, Doctors Data has one. I don't know the exact name of that. Those are the three that I see most commonly in the United States. Um, And those are the ones that are actionable, that show us the makeup of the gut microbiome, that show us the inflammation in there the immune function of the gut, um, if digestion and absorption is appropriate, all of those factors that we need to take a look at to make sure any imbalances in those types of things are important to resolve to get resolution of what's happening on the skin to help with the allergies, to help with the food sensitivities. There are only two supplements I have on subscription currently, and that is L-theanine, which is a calming amino acid I've talked about a lot on here, and magnesium, specifically magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers. Of course, both of these are great for sleep, but magnesium has the added benefit of being fantastic for stress management. Stress depletes your magnesium levels, and it's a mineral that most people are deficient in because it's really been depleted from our soil and food. Being stressed when you're already deficient in magnesium can wreak havoc on your sleep. Magnesium increases GABA, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level, so that's why it's so critical for sleep. The reason Magnesium Breakthrough is so effective is because it's a full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven different forms of magnesium. When you get all those seven forms, pretty much every function in your body gets an upgrade. Sleep, brain function, stress pain and inflammation, and for a limited time, you can get additional digestive supplements from Bioptimizers, which I love, included with your order. So when you purchase Magnesium Breakthrough, you'll get a free bottle of Masszymes, which is Bioptimizers' powerful digestive enzyme. And then there's also P3OM, which is an awesome proteolytic probiotic, and their HCL product, which can help to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux. So this will all come with your order. Visit Mag Breakthrough, so that's M-A-G. G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash well-fed. Enter the code well-fed10 to activate this offer. It's limited to the first 1,000 orders. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com forward slash well-fed and enter the code well-fed10. So even for the one-year-old, you'd recommend doing a comprehensive stool test like that if for say that there's eczema and IgG positive foods. 
Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And just to give parents a little bit of a clue as to what you what do you do from there? I mean, so you you see that there is a um, some sort of overgrowth of a specific bacteria. How do you treat that with kids? Because I with my husband who, you know, we're trying to get the root cause of Hashimoto's and stuff like that. It's a pretty advanced supplement protocol. So with kids, like what's how do you address that? Like, is it is it with supplements? Is it you know, how, and how do you get buy in from them? I do use supplements. There are certain supplements that can be used for little children, um, you know, up to I mean, or down to any age, I should say. So it just it depends on the age. It depends what's happening. Um, we should talk about, so I'll, in context here, what a gut protocol actually means. So when we're looking to you know, heal the gut, I'm using air quotes around heal there. But so when we're looking to heal what's happening or resolve the imbalances that are happening in the gut, we're looking at a four or five R protocol. Um, and so what this means is we need to remove things that we don't want in there. So those are the, the bacterial, um, fungal, protozoa, whatever we find. We've got to resolve those imbalances. So we want to remove that stuff. We want to replace digestive factors. So we need to know if somebody's digesting and absorbing their food appropriately, including little ones. Because if we're not, not only are we not getting nutrients from the foods that we eat, but the food is sitting in the gut allow and gut bugs are eating it. So it's allowing overgrowths to occur. So we need to replace digestive factors to make sure that we can digest and absorb our food. We need to re-inoculate, which means this is where the probiotics come in. But depending on what's happening in the gut, we may or may not want to use a bacterial strain of probiotic, which is the most common out there and which you typically buy over the shelf. It might not be the right one, like we talked about histamine and all that. But so we want to get the right probiotics back in. We may or may not want to do prebiotics. It depends what's happening in the gut. If there are overgrowths in there, I'm not going to recommend a prebiotic to somebody. Um, and then we also want to repair. So we need to seal up the gut lining. This is where things like uh, commonly glutamine comes into play. I actually am not a fan of glutamine. Some of that is personal, um, and I will tell you why. But there are other gut healing products that I prefer. I don't like glutamine, especially for children. So glutamine is converted in the body to glutamate. Glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So if somebody leans towards anxiety or has problems sleeping, it's possible that they have a problem breaking down glutamate into its um, calming, the inhibitory neurotransmitter. So by adding more glutamine, you can be adding fuel to that fire. Um, I had that issue. I was taking glutamine you know, to heal my gut for a while. And I just felt off, couldn't figure out why, stopped taking the glutamine, felt a lot better. So anyway, don't recommend, I don't recommend glutamine. There are other products to do that. And then when we're talking about the fifth R, which I don't talk about too much with children, but that is, um, you know, to uh, kind of relax, stress management. So we need to rebalance um, and rebalance the body holistically. But so this is why it's important to, you know, work with a practitioner, for example, that knows how to how to incorporate all of those steps which are different depending on test results depending on a full history i should mention that too it's like when you work with a practitioner it's important not just to have test results but also to have somebody that is going to take into account things that are happening holistically with you mm. there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle yeah and wh- when you work with kids is it 
is it some do you typically can you expect to see long term resolution if like gut health and all of those things are fulfilled? Is it something that can resolve long term or is it something that will kind of come back periodically as with like flares? Everybody's different. So I have seen people um, resolve um, and I haven't heard from them in years. So I'm assuming that they're still doing well. <laughs> and then others, hard to tell, right? If, they, if yeah. they're done, they graduate essentially, right? They graduate and, you know, but yes. So I have had people clear up and then, you know, I do have some people that reach out periodically that say, oh, you know, she or he flared again. And, you know, we start questioning, well, you know, what happened, what's going on? And, you know, maybe there was a course of antibiotics or, you know, with something that was a trigger. And usually at that stage, though, it's it's much easier to manage once the kind of root cause of things has been uh, identified and worked on. Flares tend to be fewer and farther between if they happen at all. When they do happen, they don't last as long. They go away faster. So those are the types of things to look for. Got it. Um, this one is from Emma. My 18-month-old son has keratosis pilaris on the top of his arms and legs. He's had this regardless of being dairy-free and gluten-free for the first 16 months. His doc said to see if you notice it gets any worth with certain foods and put coconut oil on it, which I know you've recently said isn't helpful. So any ideas would be helpful. I, I see so many kids have keratosis pilaris, and I have it myself and my toddler has, and we've done a lot of stuff topically, which has helped. Have you seen any trends in working with kids and skin rashes when it comes to keratosis pilaris? Yeah. So the two things I think of um, when I hear keratosis pilaris is gluten. So, you know, gluten-free is really important. Um, and then the other thing is vitamin A. So vitamin A deficiency or insufficiency can lead to keratosis pilaris. I don't recommend supplementing it with it without professional guidance. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Again, it's a single nutrient. It's also fat soluble. We don't want to supplement with it in kids less than two years old, of course, unless, you know, a doctor says otherwise. But the thing with vitamin A, it can be low if we have gut problems. So vitamin A is in foods. It's very rich in like animal foods and liver, you know, things that people don't eat a lot of necessarily. Um, and it's, and that's the active form or the, the, um, preformed version of vitamin A that the body needs to, you know, function appropriately. Um, in plant foods, so in like carrots and, you know, things that are orange and yellow, it comes in the form of beta carotene. Beta carotene needs to be converted in the body into the appropriate form of vitamin A that the body can actually use. And that conversion is kind of weak anyway, but certainly when we have problems in the gut, it happens, it's even weaker. So it could be an issue with gut health, again, going back to the gut. Um, it, it sounded like this person, uh, has been gluten-free for a while. So I would recommend remaining gluten-free, um, you know, possibly talking to somebody about vitamin A, um, and seeing if that would make sense. But again, make sure to talk to a professional about that and check out what's happening in the gut. When it comes to coconut oil, you know, it works for some people. And here's the thing too, everybody's different. So 
if I'm saying something and you're like, well, that worked for me, if it worked for you, that's great. So this is kind of, you know, just in a general sense, but in a general sense, I don't recommend putting coconut oil on the skin. It's a very strong antimicrobial and we have a microbiome on our skin that protects the skin barrier. So when the skin barrier is disrupted, that can actually contribute to skin rashes and skin rash flares. Hmm. Dropping some truth bombs. You know, and another thing about coconut oil, the reason it does for some people is that when we have eczema, typically that comes along in a lot of folks with um, a higher colonization of staph bacteria on the skin. And so sometimes, you know, because coconut oil's antimicrobial, right, it's going to kill off some of that bacteria we don't want. So, so right, so everybody's different. So yeah. some people might help, but in a general sense, it's way too strong and antimicrobial for the skin barrier and for the skin microbiome. Got it. Okay, just a couple more quick ones. This one's from Jody. She says, my daughter has gotten itchy rashes on her hands and feet when it's hot her whole life. Her hands and feet have always sweated a lot, too. It's worse on her feet, especially in shoes. It gets very irritated. Doctors have prescribed cream to treat it, but never told us what it is or how to prevent it. Any ideas? And I actually had another question, Jennifer, about like resolving just itchiness on skin. Maybe you've resolved some of the rash, but the skin is still really itchy. So what are your thoughts on just like these itchy rashes and and like, does that have a different root cause? You know, I see that a lot. Like once skin rashes and the redness and the irritation starts to clear up, a lot of folks remain itchy for a period of time. Hmm. It can be any number of things. Um, if, if you're somebody and you find that an antihistamine like Benadryl, Claritin, Zyrtec, something like that helps with the symptoms, then a natural option are supplements with quercetin in them. Um, quercetin is a natural antihistamine, which helps stabilize the cells of the immune system that are releasing histamine rather than shutting them off. Because remember that we do need some histamine. You know, we need it for stomach acid. And if we don't have stomach acid, we're not digesting and absorbing our food. And we get into that situation where there's food in the gut that gut bugs can eat and overgrow. So if, if you are somebody, you know, and you have experienced benefits from using an over-the-counter antihistamine, trying something like quercetin can be helpful. If antihistamines don't help, it really can be um, gut bug related. Certain bugs, like in particular, H. pylori seems to make people really itchy. So it can be an issue of, you know, toxins trying to get out through the skin. In cases like that, um, you know, soothing baths can be helpful. And I do have some resources so we can um, maybe yeah. post these for people. But I do have a resource that lists um, soothing baths. So a, you know, you can always do like diluted apple cider vinegar in the water. Um, baking soda can be helpful for some people. Some people benefit from um, gluten-free colloidal oat baths or rice starch baths. There are a number of different ones that might be helpful. So it kind of varies. Everybody's a little bit different. Mm. Is um, is like like heat rashes or some, for some reason, when I think of like heat and itchiness, I think of yeast. If somebody has like a yeast rash, is that also, is there also a gut component to that? 
There is. Yeah. yeah. Any rash, I find that there's a gut component to it. Um, heat can absolutely be a trigger for rash and rash rashes and rash flares. Um, I would recommend checking the gut microbiome, um, you know, with the, with the itchy feet, especially with the shoes that does make me think something fungal also, you know, and of course trying to keep the affected areas clean, dry from sweat. And, you know, you don't want to walk around in, um, wet socks. You know, if you're, if you're out and about, you know, playing sports or just out for the day, you know, when you get home, take the socks off, you know, let the feet air out. So that might be helpful. Um, but yeah, that does make me think of fungal, um, involvement as well. Yeah. And this is uh, the last question. This is from Micah. And I always wonder about this too, which is the reoccurring diaper rash issue. I got a couple questions about just diaper rashes from for babies and also even toddlers. Micah says, I'm wondering if it's caused by a food allergy because we've used the same products without problems since the day she was born. I eliminated citrus and acidic foods, but it still pops up randomly. I can't figure out what is causing it. And it looks so painful, extremely red, covers her entire bottom. So I actually have personal experience with this too, which is like, Sometimes your kid eats something and then this diaper rash forms and it's so bad and it's so hard to get under control. So can something in the stool like trigger a diaper rash? And, you know, what are some of the things that people can do to resolve that reoccurring, almost chronic diaper rash? Yeah. And that's, that's a tricky one. You know, it, it, diaper rash can be linked to, I mean, some of the common things, right? Like make sure we're changing diapers often enough and wet diapers can cause problems. If baby has diarrhea, that can be irritating. And yeah, even changes in food. So like changes in diet can cause issues, um, food sensitivities, food allergies, even antibiotic use. And if somebody already has eczema, that can make the situation worse. So, you know, my go-to after kind of exploring those above things and trying to, you know, figure out if any of those are happening are those soothing baths. So, you know, the gluten-free colloidal oats and the rice starch and the apple cider vinegar, and, you know, just keeping the area as clean as possible, changing diapers regularly. Um, but some of those soothing baths can be really helpful and, and comforting to the little one. And when babies, this is my last follow-up question, I promise, when babies or when kids, like, you know, even children, old, a little bit older are on antibiotics. Do you recommend, is there like a probiotic that you recommend we parents rotate in along with that antibiotic, like say that there's some sort of skin bacterial infection, which has happened to my daughter and you, you know, you need an antibiotic. Do we rotate in a, a, a probiotic and is there one that you recommend? That's a good question. Um, so it kind of depends. You could do Probably my go-to and, you know, without knowing, I'm not recommending this to everybody because it's important to talk to somebody about it. But in a general sense, if I had to give an answer to that, I would say an S. Boulardi type probiotic. So when you're taking antibiotics, they're killing off bacteria. So a bacterial strain probiotic, you know, if you take it, you know, two hours or so away from the antibiotic, that might be helpful. Um, antibiotic use can create a situation where we end up with antibiotic associated diarrhea. Um, so, you know, if the baby's having loose stool, um, an antibiotic, then S. Boulardi is probably the best option. Um, probably the safest option in general. But again, I would talk to a practitioner or professional about that just so that somebody can kind of assess 
the situation as a whole to make an appropriate recommendation. Yeah. And then re-inoculation is important, too, obviously. I mean, if somebody if a kid's been on antibiotics, I would assume that a probiotic that is specific or tailored to that individual's or that kid's situation, you would recommend that as well. Yeah, that can be really helpful for sure. Along with, you know, making sure, again, that the diet is inclusive. We can do prebiotic foods um, and probiotic foods to help seed the gut. Wherever we can, we want to use food. Um, we do have some nutrition resources, too. I can provide you some links as well for the audience. Yeah, that'd be great. And I will say, like, sometimes you go into your practitioner and your do- or your doctor and you say, like, hey, my kid's on an antibiotic. Should I put them on a, a probiotic? And they're like, yeah, yeah, just get a go get a probiotic. <laughs> You know, and so it can be kind of hard because then we're like, okay, now we have to get a probiotic. Which one? You know, like, so I think it's important to have both, you know, um, a practitioner or pediatrician and also have some sort of resource like Jennifer and her resources or even a functional medicine practitioner that you work with at the same time so that you can get that perspective where your doctor signs off or your pediatrician signs off and says, yeah, let's get your kid on a probiotic and your functional uh, medicine practitioner can say, here's what I think would work really well, you know, um, because I, sometimes we need to be able to go to these pediatricians and conventional doctors. And I mean, that's what a lot of us do for our kids. But at the same time, we also recognize the importance of holistic treatment and um, understanding, you know, like stuff that we've talked about today when it comes to gut health and optimizing gut health long term. So I'm so excited and so happy to get this out as a resource. I'm happy to have you as a resource. I know you mentioned a lot of um, resources that you have for us in in the episode, can you just, I'll link to them in the show notes, but can you mention like a couple of them here and where can people find more about you and and maybe even getting in touch with you and working with you? Sure. So the resources I'm thinking that would be helpful based on our conversation. So I have a guide to eating for healthy skin. So it talks about the various nutrients that are important for building and repairing healthy skin and gives examples of foods they're found in. Um, I have my guide to beat your little one's eczema which goes through all kinds of stuff and it lists those soothing baths among many other things. So I'll, I'll give you the link for that. Um, I do have a list of my favorite topicals that are not steroids <laughs> that we can use as well as it explains about coconut oil and why I don't like it for skin and some other things that I don't recommend for topical use. And then I have another resource. It's just kind of general nutrition recommendations. And I laugh at this one because it's like, if I could put people in a bubble and feed them, this is kind of what it would look like. (laughs) Um, And then to find me, my website is jenniferkarenbrand.com. Karen, you can spell it the normal way. I I took care of that also, but it's actually spelled C-A-R-Y-N. So jenniferkarenbrand.com. Um, and I have a ton of different resources on my website. Uh, I'm very into the education piece of everything. So I hope everybody enjoys picking around on there and seeing what's there. And there's also my contact information, of course, as well as if anybody's interested in booking an introductory consult, you can do that through my website. I'm also on Instagram as Jennifer Karen Brand with the C. So Jennifer, C-A-R-Y-N-B-R-A-N-D. Um, and I attempt to post daily on there. Uh, Gosh, I know it's a lot for you. (laughs) I know, but it's, um, you know, just, just helpful tips and, you know, tips and tricks and people can ask me questions and DM me through there as well. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us, answering our community questions and just giving us a good overview of all of the stuff when it comes to kids and gut health and skin rashes. Um, I really appreciate you being here. I will uh, link to everything Jennifer recommended in the show notes. And of course, I will, um, when I talk about this on Instagram, I will tag her. So, be checking that out. And you can also follow us on Instagram at wellfedwomen. We always, whenever we release a new episode, we try to always tag, we don't try, we do always tag the people that we interview so that you can follow them and get those regular resources. And even if you don't have kids or your kids are grown up and you want to be able to have come back to that resource, which is the story of my life, I always hear episodes or hear podcasts or see something and I'm like, that might be helpful for me down the road. Um, you can, you know, follow and save all of Jennifer's stuff and, you yeah, remember this episode. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Good. For more from Jennifer, go to jenniferkarenbrand.com. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for participating, for sharing your questions, for letting us know what you want us to talk about. We will talk to you next week. 